man, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, it's good to be here. I, I always forget that this is the Sunday every year where uh, the Christmas decorations are out, uh, and I love it up here. I mean, it feels like I'm in a forest. It's like such a, such a fun place to be. I think we should leave it up year-round, because Christmas trees aren't Christmas trees unless they have lights on them, I think, is the rule there. So you just turn the lights off, and we can leave it up all year. It's a nice little woodland adventure up here, if you will. Um, I I know Chris last week uh, uh, gave the results of our when do you decorate for Christmas poll. Um, My family, we always grew up, and we were after Thanksgiving. It was, uh, we had Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then Friday we hung out with family a little bit more, and then Saturday once family left, then we could decorate for Thanksgiving. Um, and it feels weird this morning that, that we're closing out a series on thankfulness, and it looks like Christmas up here. Um, so, uh, you know, it'll be okay. We'll, we'll make do. I love it, though. I love it. It's going to distract me a little bit because it's so pretty, and I just want to look at it. Um, but I love Christmas. I love Thanksgiving, too, though. Really, any time uh, my family gets together, it's one of my favorite times of the year. But Thanksgiving was kind of the big one every year. We always spent... Uh, all of Thanksgiving together, and then our cousins would spend the night, we'd have a bonfire, and then the next day we would wake up and hang out until that night, and then our cousins would go home, and it was always just such a fun time. Um, and it was a fun time again this year, and, and I realized this year one of my favorite parts of Thanksgiving was getting to sit around and listen to stories from uh, my dad and mom and, and my aunts and uncle, and just how fun it is to listen to all of the dangerous things that they did when they were children, <laughs> right? I'm sure some of you adults in here have these stories that you, you kind of tell them, and maybe you don't think anything of it, but, but when you tell them, you realize, man, that was very, un- like, it's crazy that I can see and hear and have teeth and so many different things, because we did some really crazy, really dangerous things growing up. And, and as I was listening to some of these stories this past week, I, I remember growing up, um, I was probably about 10 years old, and uh, my sister and I, I have a younger sister named Sarah, um, and she's four years younger than me, and so I was probably about 10, she was probably about six, and I remember we were waiting on our mom to finish getting ready, and, and we were getting along, which means we were probably going somewhere that we both really wanted to go to. Because we didn't get along very often. And so if we did, it meant that we were trying not to get in trouble so mom wouldn't take away whatever privilege we had gotten. And in this, this waiting, uh, I, I don't know where we saw it or, or what happened, but we figured out that if she would like put a foot on my thigh and jump, and while she jumped, if I pushed her up, she could get some crazy hang time. Um, it's probably a good thing we, we sent all the kids to, to Kids Praise this morning because this is a cool thing to try. Um, and so we did this three or four times. We, we were in our living room. Um, and, and our mom had this pot. And this pot was, it was this green ceramic pot. It was very beautiful. It was from Honduras. I remember it said Honduras on the side and, and had these little little houses painted on it. It was beautiful. I don't know where she got it. My assumption is she got it from her parents, who were missionaries in Honduras for a couple years. Um, and so this was not some random pot that had been bought at Walmart, but it was something with great sentimental value. 
And it sat in the corner in our living room, very close to where my sister and I were, were doing our acrobatics. And I, if you're a parent right now, you're listening to this story thinking, this is not a story that ends in the pot not being broken and no one getting hurt. Um, and if you're thinking that, you would be correct, because one of the times, in fact, it was the last time we tried this crazy feat of acrobatics, um, she got crazy air. I mean, she was, you would have thought, like, the high jump with the pole vaulting and everything, like, she cleared it easily. I think her head grazed the ceiling, except when you're six years old, you're not really ready to catch yourself. You're still learning balance and all these different things, and after she had been launched um, by her very strong 10-year-old big brother, um, she hit the ground and did not gain her balance very quickly, and she fell backwards uh, right into our mom's uh, green Honduras pot. Um, and as you can imagine, this thing shattered into a million pieces. I mean, there, there, was, there were pieces that were no longer pieces, they were just dust. And as the good older brother I, I was, and still am, I quickly rushed over and tried to calm uh, the tears so that mom wouldn't hear and find out. But moms, you have this very unbelievable gift that you know something is wrong. Like you hear a child scream, and even if there's no cries after it, you somehow know that something's not right, and you should probably check it out. And so our mom came in and checked it out. And I remember promising to glue it all back together. And I probably wasn't good at puzzles in general, and so I probably definitely was not going to be able to put this pot back together. And eventually, uh, we just threw the pot away. Um, but this month... Uh, this past month, we've been in this series, but I don't want to be thankful. And in the last 14 chapters of Genesis, we've been talking through Joseph's story. And, and I don't know about you, but when I read through Joseph's story, I see that it's filled with so much hurt and hardship that, that when I compare it to my life, like I've got to be able to find something to be thankful for. Uh-huh. I mean, Joseph was, was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely imprisoned. He was forgotten. He was abandoned. Like, if I can't read this and find something to be thankful for, I should probably read it again, because there's a lot. But what we've seen is that even in these difficult times, we can be thankful, because God is with us. We've seen that we can be thankful that that our failures aren't fatal. And last week, Chris talked about how God's presence in our lives doesn't eliminate disappointments, but that his presence empowers us to endure disappointments. And this week, through through Joseph's story, we're going to see that not only does God empower us to endure disappointments, but that God can and will redeem those disappointments for good. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, I want to come before you now. I want to thank you for today. God, I want to thank you for all your many blessings of today. God, I pray that, that as we enter um, this conversation, God, I pray that you would, you would ready our hearts and minds. God, I pray that, that you would get me out of the way. God, speak through me. Speak the things that, that need to be spoken here this morning through me. And let me not get in the way of that. God, show us, open our hearts and minds to, to the redeeming work that you want to do in us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible this morning, um, 
flip with me to Genesis 41. Um, just to fill you in on a little bit of context of what's going on, because we've kind of jumped around Joseph's story a little bit. We've seen a lot of different things happening. Um, so as we get to Genesis chapter 41, what's just happened is that Joseph was in prison, falsely imprisoned, and he's just uh, interpreted these dreams of these two guys. There was a cupbearer um, who had a very fortunate uh, uh, result who was restored to his place, and then a chief baker who kind of lost his head in all of it. Um, and if you don't get that, go, go back through and read the story. Um, uh, so we see this cupbearer is restored to his place as, as the cupbearer to Pharaoh. And as he's leaving, getting out of prison, Joseph says, hey, don't forget about me. And the cupbearer's like, yeah. Got you. I, like right now, I'm going to Pharaoh, and we're going to talk about it. But then we're told at the end of Genesis chapter 40 that the chief cupbearer forgot about him. And so we jump to Genesis chapter 41, and, and Chris pointed out that, that it seems very quick for us, right? I mean, we're three sentences later, and things are starting to, to maybe work out. But for Joseph, two years go by, and he's been forgotten and abandoned. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. Actually, he has two dreams, and, and they've looked all over Egypt, and nobody can interpret it. All of the wise men and magic people and, and dream interpreters come in and try to interpret it, and they're like, ah, oh, we got nothing for you, Pharaoh. I uh, can't figure this one out. And all of a sudden, I'm sure news is spreading around the palace that Pharaoh's getting pretty mad that, that nobody can interpret this dream. And, and finally, the cupbearer, it hits him. And he thinks, oh, wait, no. I know a guy. There, there was that guy in prison a couple years ago who, who interpreted mine and the chief baker's dream and, and, and it all happened exactly how he said. I bet if anybody can do it, it would be this guy. And so they call Joseph up and Pharaoh says, look, can you interpret this? And, and Joseph says, I, I can't do it, but God can. And so we see God give Joseph the interpretation of these dreams that, that there's about to be seven abundant, plentiful years in Egypt, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so Joseph interprets the dream, and then he offers this proposal. And in Genesis 41, verses 33 through 40, he says this. Joseph says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. This plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one discerning and wise as you. So you should be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And what we see is, as we finish out Joseph's story is that this proposal that Joseph gave and, and Joseph being in charge of this results in the saving of many lives. That even during the years of famine, people are still fed in Egypt. Joseph has just gone from, from zero 
to hero. In other words, what we're starting to see is, is that all of this hurt and disappointment and pain and all of these things that Joseph went through have now set him up to save many lives. In other words, what we're seeing is the redemption of Joseph's story. This word redeem is a cool word, and I think we throw it around a lot. Um, and I think sometimes there's, there's these big words. Maybe you guys aren't like this, but I feel like there's a lot of big words that get thrown around around me, and I just accept them as words that I should know. So I don't really ask questions. And so I want to break it down more for myself than anybody this morning. Um, but this word redeem means to compensate for the faults or bad aspects of something. So essentially, uh, redeem means to take something that was bad and use it for good. And what we see in Genesis chapter 50, uh, later down the line, is that this is exactly what God has done with Joseph's story. See, after the famine starts, Joseph's brothers have to go to Egypt to get food. And, and through a lot of misdirection and maybe a little bit of trickery on Joseph's part, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and this, there's this restoration of, of Joseph's family. And Joseph's family and, and father and mothers are, all move to Egypt. And, and they're together again. And it's beautiful. But then, in Genesis chapter 50, Jacob, who is Joseph's dad, passes away. And, and when he passes away, his brothers start to think, wait a second, Joseph? I mean, we still sold Joseph into slavery all those years ago. Like, you think he's just been waiting for dad to die before he can get even? Like, did he not want to upset dad? And so his brothers go to Joseph. And they're like, Joseph, please forgive us. <laughs> like, please, 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 please. Like, we know dad is gone now, so like, not going to do anything crazy, right? And Joseph says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph could endure difficulties. He was empowered because the Spirit of God was with him. But he also knew that, that redemption was coming. Joseph, in the very beginning of his story, has dreams of being exalted. And I'm sure the entire time that he's going through all of these hardships and difficulties and he's being mistreated and abandoned, I'm sure the presence of God was reminding Joseph of those dreams. And I'm sure that the presence of God was reminding him that God was at work in all of it. And at the end of Joseph's story, Joseph said, God used it all for good. He used it for a greater purpose to save many lives. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, yeah, but Will, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to get from this. Because I haven't had dreams like Joseph. I haven't seen a vision of, of God redeeming my story like Joseph. Joseph was special. His, he's got a whole 14, 13 or 14 chapters written about him in the Old Testament. Joseph was special. I'm not like Joseph. And, and I don't know what your dreams look like, and, and I probably don't want to know what your dreams look like. But what I can tell you is that even if you haven't had dreams or visions of God redeeming your story, you have a promise that God will redeem your story. Romans 8.28, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says this. 
says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I don't want to rush through this. What Paul is saying is that in all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, even in the most extreme hurts, difficulties, and disappointments, Paul is saying there's not a situation in your life that you've endured or that you are now enduring that God will not use for his purpose. There's not a single thing that you've been through that God will not redeem and use for your good according to his purpose. I, I know some of you guys are, are sitting in here thinking, I'm, I'm sure he can redeem other people's stories, but he can't redeem mine. My hurt is too deep. The, the abuse that I suffered, the assault that I went through, the mistreatment I endured was too much. God can't possibly turn something good out of that. That's, that's not redeemable. I want you to know this morning that, that abuse of any kind is not God's plan for you. No assault is God's plan for you. Being taken advantage of is not God's plan for you. And if you've experienced this, please know that it's not your fault. We want to help you find freedom, so please reach out to someone. Whether it's a minister on staff here, an elder here, somebody that, that you trust, whoever it is, reach out to someone. Because I promise that God is good. Satan wants you to believe that you're too broken, but I promise that God is good, and God can and will redeem that if you will give it to him. There is healing in Jesus. And God in his sovereignty can and will redeem that for good according to his purpose. We see it in Joseph's story. His brothers who have sold him into slavery and, and they apologize and Joseph responds, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. For a greater purpose. But then there's the question of our sin. Because it, it, it kind of tracks in my head that God could use our hurt and our disappointments and, and those things for, for his purpose. But one of the things that we don't see in this story is Joseph making a lot of mistakes. Now, he was human, so I'm sure he did, but, but nothing like a David and Bathsheba level or, or anything like that. And so, and so the question becomes, well, what about our sin? I get that God can use my hurt for, for good, but, but I feel like I'm too sinful, that I'm too broken. A few minutes ago, that we said that redeem meant that God could use the bad for his good. But in, in dictionaries, there's, there's always multiple definitions for words. And redeem is one of these words that has multiple definitions. See, redeem can also mean to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Romans 5 verses 6 through 10 say, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved 
through his life. Paul is saying, look, at one time you were not in God's possession. That you were a slave to sin, controlled by the enemy, far from God, separated from God. But in God's goodness, He regained possession of you in exchange for His Son. He redeemed you through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. God redeems even our sinful past. And if you don't believe me, let me give you more evidence. Uh, Colossians 1 verses 13 through 14 say, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or if you need more evidence, look at Ephesians 1 verses 7 through 8 that say, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished upon us. See, we see in both passages this word redemption is used. And, and the thing about this word redemption, some of you English people may know the word for it. I thought it was called an affinitive where you like say a word and then you use commas to like define the word in the sentence. And I may be completely making English stuff up. That wasn't my strong suit in school. But what we see is, is we see this word forgiveness uh, this word redemption be used, and then immediately it's defined as the forgiveness of sins. And, and if those two verses aren't enough, read through your New Testament. Paul stays talking about redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What we see is, is that through Jesus, we're no longer slaves to the enemy. We're no longer slaves to sin and death and shame and guilt and, and all of these awful things, but rather, Jesus has reclaimed us. God has reclaimed us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And now we're a part of God's kingdom. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39 say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present or the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not our hurts and difficulties, and not our own sinfulness, because God is good. And while we were enemies of God, I, I don't think we can grasp what this means. Like, we're not talking while we were Alabama fans and God was a Tennessee fan. Like, we're not, we're not talking when I was a Yankees fan and God was a Red Sox fan. I'm not a Yankees fan, I'm a Red Sox fan. Notice there's, there's a holiness of the fan base that God is a part of. Like, it's not while we were rivals and wanted to beat the other when we played each season. Like, I don't think we fully understand the, the magnitude uh, of the fact that we were enemies of God before Jesus. And I pray that God would show us the magnitude of that. But while we were enemies of God, He rescued us from darkness and brought us into the light through Jesus. Despite our brokenness, God has reclaimed us from sin and death in exchange for Jesus' sacrifice because of God's immeasurable love for us. I'm reading a book right now called The Awe of God by a guy named John Bevere. 
And in this book, he, he's talking about our value. Um, and, and he writes this. Here's the amazing truth. If we had been worth one penny less to God than the value of Jesus, then this exchange wouldn't have been made. For God would not make an unprofitable deal to give something more valuable for something less valuable. You have been saved and redeemed because of the incomprehensible love that God has for you. Uh, When I read this, this is a hard thing to hear. And I think it's a hard thing to hear because when I first read it, I, I thought about my worthlessness that I felt. And I felt like, like this author, having written this, was diminishing the value of Jesus. And, and as I was sitting in this confusion and almost frustration that, that John Bevere would have the audacity to write this, this this wave swept over me of the immense, deep, immeasurable, incomprehensible love that God has for us. That that my issue with it was not that I felt like John Bevere was diminishing Jesus, but, but that I was realizing, just getting this tiny glimpse of the way God sees me. And if this morning you, you hear that and you're frustrated and, and can't believe that John Bevere would have the audacity to write that, then I would pray that you would spend time this week asking God to reveal to you the, the way he looks at you. You have been saved and redeemed because of the incomprehensible love God has for you. He loves you and he longs to redeem you. I started this morning talking about uh, my mom's pot from Honduras. Um, A piece of pottery, um, just to clarify any of you who were confused. (laughs) Some of you guys are getting that now. Um, that's funny. Uh, I started talking about this, this Honduran pot that my sister and I shattered. It was so broken. I mean, I told you, th- there were pieces that were no longer pieces. They were just dust. Like, I told my mom I could fix it and I could glue it all back together. But if, if I'm going to be completely honest this morning, there were pieces that, that wouldn't go back together. And the conclusion was that it was trash. That it was too broken. It was, it was past the point of no return. And some of you this morning feel like that pot. I know when I look back at my life, I spent a large portion feeling like I was too far gone that I was broken past the point of no return, that, that my sinfulness had pulled me far enough from God and, and beaten me down and broken me to the point that some of my pieces weren't pieces anymore, but they were dust. And some of you guys might be there this morning. And, and what I want you to know is, is there is no one too broken for God to redeem their story. God is longing for you to come to Him so He can do His beautiful redeeming work in your life. He loves you. There's a type of Japanese art called kintsugi. 
think I'm saying that right. But it literally translates to golden joinery or golden repair. See, what happens, what these artists do is, is, is when pottery breaks, a lot of people would look at it and say, that's, that's too far gone. Uh, it's broken, throw it away, can't be used anymore, like that bowl won't hold anything because um, it's just pieces. But then these kintsugi artists look at it and they say, no, 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 don't throw it away. I can take those pieces and, and make something beautiful. This morning, if you feel broken, if you feel like, like your life has fallen and broken off into so many pieces and, and, and you feel like some of your pieces are dust, and if you hear the enemy telling you it's, you're too far gone, you're too far gone, you, God can't redeem your story. What I want you to know is that God can and will redeem you. Run to Jesus. Because when, when all hope seems lost, even in the pit, even in prison, even in disappointment and abandonment, even in our hurt, even in our sin, Jesus looked at us and said, I can make something beautiful out of that. This morning, we can be thankful because God redeems. Run to Him and let Him redeem your story for His purpose. Would you stand with me and praise God for redemption in Jesus' name?